Welcome back to the Sprackle Podcast. I'm Corey White, and this episode is fit for a post-apocalyptic return because it truly has the strangest backstory of almost anything creative I've ever made. On September 24th, 2020, I answered my door to unexpectedly find a delivery of what seemed to be a box of baked goods addressed to someone named Mark A. And Mark A does not live here. Hoping someone in my building had simply mistyped their apartment number, I did what anyone would do. I waited exactly four hours to see if that was the case, and when no one came looking, I took it inside. But before I put it in the fridge, I made a video summoning the might of TikTok to try and find the rightful owner of this cake within 24 hours. One million views later, no Mark A was found. So I wanted to do something special with the cake and took two pieces upstairs and knocked on the door of a neighbor I've been meaning to have a conversation with for months. And that person is our guest, Michael Zimmerman. Here's what happened next. Yeah, basically, I uh, just wanted to do this because I got to, I think, really properly meet you for the first time at the, like, building party. Mm-hmm. And uh, and definitely a character. <laughs> the only thought that came to mind the entire duration of that experience was, like, I need some of whatever he has. Like, that I could use. <laughs> it's just an... Infinite spirit, basically a driving spirit that never really stops. <laughs> Truly, it never stops. Fair enough. Um, well, yeah, so you and Harry were some of the first people I met here, if not the first people other than my roommate Adrian at the time, because I don't think Brandon had moved in. I think he was still in Florida. And uh, I think right after we moved in, you left on a road trip. Right. I, like, days later then left on my own road trip. Uh, you went west, though. I did go west. I went yes. south to Florida, and I've done a road trip. Cool. I've done the one that I did multiple times before. Mm-hmm. Um, but it sounds like you had a, a pretty, like, uh, unprecedented, maybe? <laughs> I, you strike me as the kind of person that has taken absurd and long and adventurous road trips before. But first time, actually. Really? I mean, I've taken, I love driving. I've always loved driving, but it would always be, you know, to one place. It would always be a drive for six hours somewhere or a drive nine hours to New Orleans or something like that. And I loved it. I've always loved driving, um, but I've never, I had never undertaken something like this on this scale. Oh, yeah. And you... Did you mention at some point that it was supposed to be like half as long or something? Yeah, when I originally planned it and I had basically all of the first few months of quarantine to plan it, um, it was basically just a waiting game of waiting for the national parks to open up. Mm -hmm. And so during the first couple of months after everything had shut down, um, I just started planning and going on Google Maps and I... Got myself a route, basically, um, from here in Brooklyn to Dallas. And at the time, you know, I didn't know what it was going to be like. I didn't know how stressful it was going to be or how taxing it would be. Um, And so I did it as a 30-day thing, right? And I got myself, I gave myself a, a rough plan to get back to Dallas within 30 days, traveling across the country. But... What I did was I only booked um, reservations like campsites, uh, mostly campsites, but then also Airbnbs um, along the way up until I got to Yellowstone. Um, So I said, I'm going to get myself as far west as Yellowstone uh, and then I'm just going to figure it out from there. And like I had a rough idea of where I would go from Yellowstone, but 
Yellowstone was about 15 to 16 days to into the trip. And I said, literally anything can happen in that amount of time. Um, and it did. I mean, within within a week to 10 days, uh, I had people hitting me up on Instagram that saw where I was heading and uh, invited me to come meet up with them. Um, my grandparents uh, hit me up as well and uh, let me know that their home in Colorado was available for use. Um, and by about 10 to 12 days into the trip, I was completely settled into the lifestyle. And right. like, I was just, I was, I was in it, you know, I was living out of my car. I was camping out I was tearing down campsites every two days and moving on to the next one. I was having the absolute time of my life. And so awesome. It was, I mean, I was just totally loving it. And I was like. I could, I'm going to keep going. I can keep going and I'm just going to keep on moving and I'm going to say yes to all these opportunities that are presenting themselves, uh, particularly the home in, in Colorado. Um, and I said, okay, so I'm going to add Colorado to my itinerary now and I'm just going to go there after Wyoming. So I got to Yellowstone um, and then I went to Grand Teton. And so I was able to say, okay, I'm going to say five nights here. Then I'm going to drive to Fort Collins to see my buddy uh, and hang out for however long. And then I'm going to drive to Denver and see my other buddy and stay for maybe a night. I ended up staying for five nights. And then, <laughs> and then I was like, OK, now I'm going to go to Colorado to see my grandparents home. And then I was like, but first, OK, I'm going to stop in Gunnison, Colorado for a few nights because that looks fun as hell. And um, it just kind of kept rolling like that. And then I got to Colorado and I was like fuck this is really really nice i'm gonna stay here for a long time and so i stayed there for 17 nights and oh i just I, and then i woke up one day and i said okay i'm gonna leave now and uh, moved on to utah and then to arizona i woke up one day and i said can i go to the grand canyon today and so i packed up my campsite and just drove to the grand canyon made it just in time for sunset set up for a few nights and then you know 60 days into it i woke up and i said I'm fucking tired. I, I'm fucking tired. I'm done with this. I'm, I'm a, I gotta give myself five days. I am going to put all of my energy, every little last drop that I have left in me into this, into these remaining five days. And I'm going to make it amazing. And it was totally amazing. And then I just got up and I drove back to Dallas, Texas to see my family. And that was it. It was over. Oh, right. Cause you were supposed mm -hmm. still trying to get to Dallas. Right. Dallas eventually. And I kept telling my family, I would say, okay, I'll be there in about 30 days when I took off. And then I, I was like, Hey mom, I don't, I, I'm probably going to stay out a while. So I don't really have a date in mind. Uh, I just hope you're around. I'll let you know and then hey mom I'm, I'm really having fun in Colorado I think I'm gonna stay like another couple of weeks so just stay patient with me and nice. finally I get there after 65 days so what was like the uh or I guess actually at this point you want to try this game I forgot to so for anyone listening to this that didn't come here from TikTok the whole precedent of why this interview is happening is beyond like sort of living in the same building as Michael um, and meeting him at the two only social events that I've attended that had to do with this building. Uh, and the mutual interest in road trips, which I found out about at those events. Um, I accidentally made a viral video 
three days ago on TikTok, <laughs> basically recruiting the internet to do the internet thing and try and find this mysterious Mark A responsible for ordering a mystery cake that showed up to my door. Mm-hmm. Um, the cake's purple, and I didn't know why when I posted the TikTok, but then the commenters basically explained that it's an ube cake, which is a staple of Filipino desserts, um, which I guess kind of makes sense because this bakery was located in Queens, which has like a large Filipino community mm-hmm. and uh, it's supposed to be really good. And so I thought, you know, it's Michael's beautiful. Michael's <laughs> close enough to Mark a, eh? and we didn't find him. I, I basically right. gave TikTok 24 hours to elucidate this yeah. mystical human being. Uh, they did not succeed. Right. And as such, we are, we are now the benefactors of the karma cake. The beautiful purple cake. Cause someone else in the comments also pointed out that Mark a is an anagram for karma and that it was probably just the universe testing me. And I guess this is us passing, so. Truly. But yeah, so let's I shall guess we? give it a shot. We shall. All right. I, purple yam is something I've never. Wow. Imagine as a dessert. Wow. That's so good. That's really light. Mm-hmm. I, was, I feel okay about eating this at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, I was kind of like slightly concerned it would be sort of a red bean situation because mm-hmm. uh, I'm i half Korean and was adopted at birth, but I like know them both by birth parents. And so my birth mom, who's the half, she's the Korean half, uh, she started like showing me certain things and taking me to different bakeries and, and stuff. And one of the staples of Korean desserts, I guess, is red bean flavored. Mm-hmm. I've tried it. It's just not for me because it's too like not sweet. Right. But this is. Not that situation. <laughs> no. It's delightful. I've also been keto for three years, and I have no ambivalences about breaking with this. Oh, my God. You're on keto, and you're eating a chocolate or a purple cake? <laughs> well, I am on keto for all the moments that are not this moment and the next four hours. Right. I got... I was on keto a few years ago, and I lost a shitload of weight, and then I got off of it, and I gained it all back in, like, a month. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah. I originally got on it um, to try and exploit some, like, mechanisms that might suggest faster, like, healing from an injury. Mm. Um, I don't know if it actually helped or not. I think it did, mm-hmm. but probably not to the extent that I was hoping. But nevertheless, I um, I made DHT as fuck. Yeah. And too. I got, like, a lot of mental clarity from it. And so when I quit, I missed the mental clarity so much because I only ever intended to do it for, like, six months. I was like, damn, that was kind of nice to be able to think so mm-hmm. i like kind of went back on and then went back off again because i'm i'm also like a former fat kid so i love all food <laughs> okay yeah like totally. food. Mm-hmm. and uh and then i eventually got to a place where i was doing like cyclical so you like have one carb up day a week but you try to keep it like healthy carbs and then recently i was just like i just life's complicated right now i got a lot of variables i'll just stay keto like it's just an mm-hmm. easier like fast and straight roll i guess it must be hard to eat out though these days well, luckily, um, eating out is hard on its own right. Yeah, that's true. That's so true. <laughs> I guess if there's any time to do it now, would probably be it. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I When I left New York for the trip, it was completely, completely shut down. There was, you know, stage zero. Nothing was open, mm. um, which was a 
kind of the impetus for leaving because there was right. nothing to do and you know Same might as well me. go fucking climb a mountain yeah <laughs> so, <laughs> so uh logical human being would did, right? yeah exactly exactly and now that i'm back it's nice to see that new york is kind of coming back and like especially brooklyn i just love walking around the borough and just seeing all the outdoor dining everyone's outside i mean everyone's outside yeah. and it's just so vibrant and like all the excitement of the city is now in full view yeah it's cool the outdoor dining gets kind of interesting at some points because like a lot of the places like soho i think has closed down like entire sort of super blocks to mm. like safe yeah. guard the streets and so that's like kind of interesting because you're having food in the street but there's no like right. cars around but then i went to uh uh m- most of my roommates uh, have been keto at some point in the past few months. So we went to Croxley's, which is like a really good and pretty cost-effective like wing place. And their oh, outdoor yeah, seating, <laughs> and we went to the one in Williamsburg, and their outdoor seating is like on a major two-way road. And so you're sitting like a foot away. Mm-hmm. And I was on the backside of it. So like there's cars like two feet away from me going like 25, 30 miles an hour yeah, in my totally. back. <laughs> it's a very exhilarating way to eat wings. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I ate a lot of wings when I was on keto. <laughs> that was the way to go. They're so good. I never really appreciated wings until I went on keto. Mm-hmm. But now they're like, uh, they're such a... Like, I, I never thought I'd have cravings for like bone-in wings. Oh, yeah. But now I do. They're they're really good. Mm-hmm. But So when you went on the road trip, what was sort of like the the kit when you set out? Did you spend a lot of time like making sure you had exactly what you wanted? Or yeah. did you like get a guess and then set out and send it <laughs> totally no i um i spent a lot of time planning like i said kind of earlier um i had i had a lot of time in the early months of of the pandemic um to really plan it out um and not just building a route not just finding out places and researching places that seem interesting or that i would want to check out but also like going and going through a list of everything that I might need and like running through a hypothetical day of camping and or a hypothetical day of hiking or biking or whatever it is and thinking about everything that I would need. So helmet, uh, bicycle pump, uh, obviously all my kitchen supplies, like, you know, like a knife and one, you know, and I bring one fork, one bowl, one plate, you know, and just run through everything. And I made checklists on checklists and, I made an itinerary and a checklist and just wanted to make sure that I had absolutely everything that I would need. And I, there was not a single point on the trip that I, I, you know, didn't have what I needed. You know, I had the uh, emergical, emergency medical supplies that I needed if I, if I ever fell and I did. And, uh, you know, I had the right shoes for every moment and I put every, all my shoes in a bag so that the car wouldn't get filthy. And, you know, I had my giant duffel bag of, all the types of different types of clothes that I would need and like brought laundry detergent and I mean, et cetera, et cetera. And there was never a moment where I was like, fuck, I have to like buy something that I already own because I totally forgot to bring this. True. And do you have, what, what car are you driving? I had a Jeep Grand Cherokee. Oh, okay. Um, really spacious. Some just put down all the seats. There was not, any room in the car because I had, I mean, I had a giant cooler, obviously, where I'd keep all my food and stuff and all my drinks and everything I needed. And then 
giant duffel bag and then you have a big bag of kitchen supplies and then I had a big bag of all my entertainment so all my books and headphones and anything that I would need to entertain myself and you know hammock and obviously all the camping supplies and everything so including my passenger seat everything was completely full and there were several times on the road I would pass a hitchhiker and I would really want to pick them up I'd be like that would be so much fun get on the roof but I was like I just don't have the room for it and uh yeah surprisingly I didn't like overpack anything you know but it just your life takes up a lot of space. <laughs> yeah. now, did you ever uh, audit your gas mileage at some point with all that? Uh, I tried not to. Yeah. I tried not to think about how the gas mileage was going. Uh, I typically go that route, too, because I have, like, bikes and I bring camera gear, and it's yeah. all really heavy. And mm-hmm. so I have, uh, like, a 90s Lexus has been my mode of choice. And it gets pretty decent highway mileage, but even still, like... <laughs> when I first moved up here, it was like packed to the point where I couldn't see out of the back window, mm-hmm. which actually um, on the maiden voyage, I backed into like a, like a semi truck trailer and put <laughs> yeah. two like dimples in the trunk of the car. And I was like, ah, sick. Glad mm-hmm. this is a fully depreciated 90s Lexus. And um, so this is still there. But <clears throat> it was like it was so weighed down that it like dropped two and a half inches of ride height. So it, oh, shit. Wow. it looked like low. It actually looked great, but yeah. it just like couldn't move. Like zero to 60 was not a timed thing. It was a yes or no thing. Yeah. Um, no, if there's a hill or level ground. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's a super, it, it's always interesting. Cause like I've done, my trip is pretty consistent. And so my like New York to Florida and back, there's typically the same like three or four stops. This mm-hmm. one was a little bit different for me. Cause I added to the end of it for the first time, but I, I've probably done it 12 or 13 times that I've never packed the same way once. Yeah. Um, but yeah, what was sort of like the most unexpectedly useful thing you brought? Like something um, that was like a just in case that you're like, actually, I need this all the time. Right. No, that's a great question. Um, well, I... Uh, <laughs> this is funny, but I... Just in case, I thought that there may be some moments where I don't have a toilet. So uh, I looked up how to shit in the woods. And uh, they said, (laughs) you need a little trowel, like a tiny little shovel, basically, and biodegradable toilet paper. And um, I actually ended up, I was thinking I would do like developed campsites for the most part to keep myself, you know, with a fire, a guaranteed fire pit and, and mm-hmm. grill and, and usually restrooms and whatever. Um, but I actually ended up use, doing quite a bit of dispersed camping, uh, which is literally you can just drive into a national forest and camp anywhere. Nice. And it's totally free. Um, it's just a lot. It's just not developed. So to make your own fire pit, you have to bring your own grill and whatever, like, you know, little grill to put over the fire. And, um, yeah, there's no restrooms. And so I ended up uh, using this travel quite, quite a bit. I'm sorry to say that while we're eating cake, but it was a nice little $2 purchase that came very much in handy. It's not chocolate cake, so it's, it's, <laughs> it's not too offensive. And hopefully purple has no association to that activity. <laughs> in terms of something that I knew I would... I was going to love to bring, but turned out to be even more awesome than I thought was my, my bike. Um, I have a 
vintage 1984 uh, Gary Fisher mountain bike. Um, that Wait, is, is it a giant. Um, no, oh. a giant. No, I saw an older giant on the the bike storage room, and I was like, Oh, oh word! No, I'm actually downstairs, completely deconstructed right now. I have oh. to put it back together because I shipped it up. Um, oh. But it's this beautiful red Fisher mountain bike. Um, and I, I love that thing. And I figured I probably had some fun with it out on the road and didn't know how much fun I was going to have with it because I would use it all the time. I used it in Niagara Falls and in Michigan and always like, you know, I would ask a ranger or something if there are any mountain bike trails around and they would like, let me know. And there was some really, really cool stuff that I am so happy I brought my bike with me because even though it ended up being, you know, an expensive thing to bring with, mm-hmm. uh, it was totally worth it because I had just awesome times with it. That's awesome. Have, were you typically like a road going cyclist before and then sort of dabbled in trails or do you, have you done it in the past? You, yeah, well, well I've never really been mountain biking before. Um, as a child, I had a, like a summer camp, but I've I've always just used that bike here in the city. Um, <laughs> it's It's like a 1984 bike, so it is completely without suspension Uh, it's like it is a mountain bike but it is a real ball buster Uh, and uh, it was it's much better to to ride around new york and it's great for riding around new york because i'm just like constantly passing people and it's just it flies but uh out on the trails it's it's a little bit of a different story i had my fun with it because exactly um but yeah i kind of beat myself up a little bit out on the trails (laughs) Nothing wrong with a few extra calluses, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Nice. What was your, uh, just one of the things that I've never, I have this weird sort of aversion to going what seems backwards on a trip, even if it doesn't actually. So like this last one, I, for the first time, just because scheduling had to rearrange, I was trying to like meet people that were pretty hard to sync up with. I went um, from my most southernmost destination, Tampa, mm-hmm. to Tallahassee, and then past Atlanta to Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. But then I went back to Atlanta because the entire time I, I definitely knew that I wanted to go there, but mm-hmm. no one was available. Or I think the Charlotte people weren't available after, but they were available that weekend. Yeah. But given how like improvised yours were, did you ever just like double back on yourself a bunch? And, like, just <laughs> zigzag. <laughs> kind of. Yes. Um, the most memorable double backing I had to do um, was. When I was staying in Yellowstone, um, I I realized that I had left my winter coat at um, my previous location. Uh, it was oh. actually a little small little Airbnb just outside the Shoshone Mountains. Um, I am not very into so where what's like state or city would Yellowstone be near and then also the Yellowstone is the northwestern corner of Wyoming um so it's it was the farthest west that I went um and from there I started going south uh, and a little bit east through Colorado but yeah Yellowstone was as far west as I had made it and I came there from the Bighorn Mountains which is in central Wyoming Mm -hmm. and there's some a lot, of, a lot of interesting stories from the Bighorn Mountains, uh, kind of like a down point of the trip, but a uh, important point part of the trip for sure. It's a plot point. Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely um, experienced some odd happenings there. But I booked it from there to this little Airbnb right before Yellowstone. 
uh, just so I could do laundry and spend a night, you know, in a bed or whatever, because I from there it was going to be like over a week and a half of camping. Um, so I figured I'd just, you know, hop in a bed for a little bit, um, take a shower, get some laundry done. But I left my winter coat that night. It was pretty chilly uh, in the Airbnb. And then I found that out when I was in Yellowstone already about four hours outside of the Airbnb. And it sucks because I was only in Yellowstone for three days. So I really wanted to like maximize my time. But I was like, I have to go back and get this coat. I love that coat. It's really nice. Um, it's very warm. And I was not about to buy another winter coat yeah. for you know the rest of that trip. Um, so I just had a day out in Yellowstone um, exploring. And then I just hopped in the car and I drove four hours backwards to get my coat, but it was perhaps my favorite drive of the trip because you're the Yellowstone is a, in the Shoshone Mountains, which are uh, arranged within the Rockies. Um, and so it's, it's very mountainous um, and the Shoshones themselves are spectacular. I mean, absolutely beautiful. And um, I could not have cared less to have been spending eight hours, literally an eight hour round trip, just getting a coat because Especially it was spectacular. First, yeah, because I think I've driven through that area um, a long time ago. And it's like, is it really hilly and winding and like overlapping? Yeah. And there, I mean, there is cliffs to your left, cliffs to your right and like planes in front of you. And it's so green and orange and yellow and... I like I've got my windows completely rolled down and I am I'm driving very fast because I don't want to be wasting too much time on right. this thing. But I'm booking it and I'm like the biggest smile on my face. I'm playing fucking Pixies as loud as I can. Like it is blasting, blasting Pixies. And I've got my fucking arm out of the window and I'm like slapping the side of my car like it's a horse. I'm literally just screaming like, yeah. <laughs> as we're like as I'm just flying down the highway and looking at these unbelievably beautiful mountains and I was just having the time of my life it's just you don't it doesn't matter how you spend your time when you're out there because it's all great it's all beautiful yeah it's I, the thing that sort of occurs to me is when you do that first drive like the one way and you think that's going to be it yeah. you, you have your destination in mind there's uh -huh. like an aspect of planning but if you just have to take the l of like going back and forth mm -hmm. like you get to just like you know the route you've right. done before right you can kind of zone out a little yeah. bit and, and, just you, and you're just in. waiting and mm -hmm. so like you actually get to like look around and like think about this because you you have like this forced pause basically on all your other plans right so you get like a replay of the environment <laughs> yeah no totally and i was like so happy to get I, when i got my coat i was like all right i'm back on the road i was like i don't know this is the most beautiful drive i've ever seen he's like yeah man i do it every day it's fucking amazing Jeez. yeah yeah i'm used to florida There's, the pine trees get a little monotonous after a while uh -huh. Uh -huh. <laughs> there was actually one of the most interesting things i learned on the road was in the shoshones on on that or drive um i always try to make a point to like pull off at scenic overlooks or when i see like an information plaque or something that they'll have scattered around in national forests and national parks and stuff um and i pulled off at this one that overlooked um a cave in the mountains uh, that you could see from the highway and there was a plaque there explaining um, about this cave. Basically, they have 
archaeological evidence um, dating back 11,000 years in this cave. And it's not just like there was a little bit, there is evidence from 11,000 years ago. There is consistent archaeological evidence in various sedimentary layers mm. over the course of 11,000 years. So generation after generation uh. after generation. And I mean, that is it's incomprehensible to me because we live in this society of like absolute greed and consumption and like you know america has been around for 350 years and we've almost completely like <laughs> ruined it and spent its resources but then you look at this cave and this group Thousands of people of for 11,000 years were able to, to take care of it and live with it and let it support them while also supporting it and then we just came and take it you know and then it just like kind of went away and we don't think that we it's possible to do something like that we don't think that it's even possible to live in harmony with the earth because we see the way that we live as the only way that we can live and so that was really eye-opening for me to see you know what humans are capable of yeah oh wait so what what's the name of the cave because i think i've that's a great question. Like the Shovo I, Cave. Is it? I, I, I have to look it up again one. because, but yeah, it's just, a, 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 I guarantee like Googling like Shoshone Mountains uh, cave uh, dwelling or whatever would pull something up because it was, it was spectacular. I thought that that was just so interesting. Yeah, no, for sure. It, that is a, an interesting way to look at it. It's like the 12,000 years versus 350. Right. I mean, right. the fuck that we've gotten ourselves. Right? <laughs> yeah. And like California is on fire yeah. and where hurricanes are flooding coastal cities all and over also, the country. One of the, like the last person that I sort of had one of these sit downs and talks with was a guy named Sam, uh, Sam Benchkeep. And he grew up in Indonesia, born in France. And the reason I met him was my Adrian or my roommate, Adrian, um, on this side of the apartment, uh, he is the creative director for Ryan Serhan, and mm. he had an idea to give away a free year in NYC to someone. So he pitched it to Ryan. Um, Ryan got everything set up, and they made the announcement for this contest, which the winner was announced in, like, February or something, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. So, like, as it was supposed to happen, it was, like, March and April. Right. Um, but the winner was a guy that ran across the country from coast to coast, like water to water, Jesus. literally Forrest Gump. Um, he's wow. like, <laughs> damn. And yeah, that's, uh, I, I really enjoyed having the four wheels underneath. Yeah. Uh, right. Making that trip. I don't, I don't think I've run 10 miles in my life. Much <laughs> in, like thousands in 190 days or something. But the reason he did it was to raise awareness for plastic pollution. Mm -hmm. Um, and he said like in, uh, I think the current forecast accounting for scaling as it's happened um, by like 2040 or 2050 or something like that, there will be more plastic by mass in the ocean than fish. And it's like that, that'll wrap up what, like 400 ish years, mm -hmm. some, somewhere around there right. versus 12,000. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Of total harmony. Yeah. <laughs> and this isn't just fucking up the U.S. This is like everyone fucking up the <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to fix our system of greed if we're going to get anywhere. Yeah. But I don't know. It's interesting, though, because it, it does seem I'd be like the fact that the census is happening around now. I'm curious to see what happens with it in terms of like population trends, because I mm -hmm. feel like and this might just be, you know, my own bias and looking at the world through my own lens. But I feel like there's less of a like push to just have a giant family like people are waiting a lot longer yeah mm -hmm. 
And so I, because it just seems like, I don't know, I, when people started thinking about the connotations or the implications rather of like 10 billion plus people, right. like maybe they throttled back a bit, but yeah. I'm going to be really interested to see what happens with that. But yeah, it's like with the, the world is just not built for like, infinite scaling right exactly <laughs> exactly it's still really not yeah and uh, that this is just one of those things that your eyes are opened up to on the road you know and you yeah. see you spend time in these spectacular places you know and i hike you know 15 miles into a gulch in the middle of utah and i'm just surrounded by perfect natural beauty um and you see that and you know and you realize that that's what we have in this country and that's what we could be sharing and that's what we could be enjoying. And yet we're stuck at home arguing where, whether wearing a mask is worth fucking saving someone's life when you go to the grocery store. Yeah, or just like other things that are just politicized that really aren't political problems. And I don't know, It's there's so much contention around that, especially I think New York's different because it, it's so intense here. If you are on a contrarian side mm -hmm. or another side and you typically put yourself into those conversations that people just like fatigue out. Mm -hmm. Like I, for one, when I moved here, I thought I was like really liberal because I was coming from like the southerner part of South right. Georgia, yeah. also known as Northern Florida. And, um, and when I got here, I was like, oh, oh, turns out I'm, I guess I'm like moderately liberal. Yeah. Oh yeah, and, totally. Like, but another thing is like, I don't, I think one of the main reasons I have gravitated away from politics and more to like conversations is because I, my introduction to politics, like the year I turned 18 was 2016. Oh, great. Yeah. <laughs> and so that was like fantastic, like way to disenfranchise someone. Yeah. Um, and since then I've just realized, cause I was still using Facebook at the time. I think that was before it really started to like go downhill and like average users in the U S and Instagram took over and, and other social media platforms. But the tribalism, even then mm -hmm. like any comment section, no, we're like, so divided right now. It's, it's really, it, it seems almost impossible that we can rally around something, you know, as, yeah. as a country at this point. And it's, it's funny though, because like you'll get into conversations with those people and if you're impartial on the point, but you're just basically like, curious as to what their case is and if you see what you think as a whole and you present it to them mm -hmm. in a way that isn't like gotcha mm -hmm. then they'll usually consider it and mm -hmm. that that like sort of dedicated opponent facade like will begin to fade and then they become more of a thinker like in the moment right. which yeah, is it's really all about conversations and and not you know being flagrantly uh, offensive or yeah. trying to catch somebody and and or trying to you know humiliate somebody unfortunately i think yeah. um that's where we're at and i just wanted to it was nice to kind of like take a step back from all that noise and i you know i'm a news junkie and mm. i love reading you know new york times and the washington post all the time because it's i think it's important to stay up to date but at the same time it was so nice to really just take a step back and especially when I would be camping out with no service uh, and I, you know, I could spend, you know, five to seven days at a time without any cell service. And you know, you can't, you literally can't, I can't pull out my news app. I can't yeah. go online. I just have to sit there and look at a tree and <laughs> read my book uh, and meditate and 
It's great. It's so really re so nice to just pull away and just look what we have, you know, and, and enjoy what we have for however long we may have it. Um, and I'm trying as I'm back in New York to, to really integrate that and, and to not fall back into some of those old, you know, addictive habits in right. terms of, you know, just constantly checking the phone or constantly getting myself upset about what's happening in this right. world. Um, although it is important and I plan to constantly be, um, you know, promoting my causes and, and promoting equal justice and mm -hmm. fair treatment of all people. Um, I just, I need to make that a healthy thing and a productive thing rather than, uh, feeding my addiction to kind of, you know, a frustration or whatever. Yeah. I think that like the most insidious part of people's use of social media, I guess the most insidious part of social media as it's been deployed by people that are very fervent about these things and have these beliefs and care about like progress and stuff mm -hmm. is that it's given this illusion that that it, that like sort of progress is afforded through like scaling or brunt. And like, if you assemble an army, you will beat the other army right. and then make them submit to your worldviews. But I just like, I don't know something about the way that I either grew up or came into having hard debates with people. Um, like you, if you like, it's not really a scalable thing. If you really want to make an ally, you have to like be their friend first and like lead with that foot. Because mm -hmm. even if someone just submits or gets quieter because you've just beaten it into them, whatever mm -hmm. your belief happens to be, it doesn't mean that they're with you. Mm -hmm. They might like, if anything, they're just with you with resentment, which like how helpful is that for right. your cause? And with social media, I think a lot of people are like, all right, well, I can scale my efforts now. I can comment a lot more than I could like meet and interact with individual people and that'll do more. But it really like, Tend, in my eyes, it works against a lot of people's like benevolent wills. And, mm -hmm. um, but it, you mentioned like sort of forced rest from social media. I've tried, um, without going different places, I've tried uh, something that I was put onto by my birth mom who did an event called Cave Day or Cave Week or something. Mm -hmm. I think it was Cave Day that she participated in, but it was like a, a startup or incubator type thing for different people in a co working space. You went in and you like forfeited all your technology for the day and everyone was in a techless space working on some goal of theirs and she said it was really helpful so i i decided to take that um another step and do a cave week but i worked from home so i would do it in my own place and it was like pseudo cave week because i still have my desktop which is hardwired uh to internet but i took my phone and my tablet and my laptop and everything and i left it in her apartment in mm -hmm. the city and then drove back to my apartment to live yeah. for a week and it was really like unintuitive how it played out to me. It makes sense in retrospect, but in the moment I was really confused because the first two or three days were actually like the most hectic mentally that mm, I'd had yeah. in a really long time. <laughs> because sometimes we turn to these devices when we get in a weird headspace and yeah. like we almost they, try like, to knock us. ourselves. Yeah, we almost try to knock ourselves out of bad thoughts. Mm -hmm. At least for me, I'll, I like if I'm having an uncomfortable thought, I'll like whip out Facebook for like no, re like almost like an automatic response. Yeah. And it's like, if you don't have to consolidate your own attention, you can like sort of outsource that focus exactly. to something that yeah. just takes it. Right, right. And so when it's gone, yeah. then your mind's just like, Poof. right. And it forces you to be like, hey, let's face this thought, yeah. you yeah. know, let's work through this and yeah. see, let's, let's talk about why it's frustrating you or why you feel anxious about it. Yeah. And I remember like the, the most chaotic mental space I think I had experienced in a very long time was three days into not having any tech because there was nothing to like sort of 
hone it yeah. in any direction, productive or otherwise. And so, like, but at the end of the week, I was like, hey, I can, like, see the world properly. Like, there's not seeing the world and then mostly listening to and forecasting other things. In my right. Brain. Like, I think that was before I instilled a mindfulness practice. Um, mm. And that, I think that was my first exposure to, like, accidental mindfulness mm -hmm. was just like removing the variable and just having to like cope with my own right like, and react yeah in the moment yeah and also learn how to like be with thoughts because the problem was like i'm already adhd right so they'd be like half thoughts but just like all shouting over each other right right and so like even just learning to deal with your own mind helps not be so dependent on the phone to do mm -hmm. this stuff for you mm -hmm. but did you experience anything like that in the beginning or are you already sort of um, in Were terms like of kind of like, in terms of kind of like the, the first few days being a little bit of a struggle or what do you mean? Like I in guess, terms of mindfulness, I guess in terms of like, what did you sort of, cause I would imagine you imagined beforehand what that would be like. It's like, oh, it's going to be so right. nice to have a phone. Was there anything that sort of like taught you off guard when that did end up being the case? Um, yes. In terms of, um, cause I, I, I took this trip alone. Um, and, you know, obviously I met up with several people along the way and, you know, I would meet random people on hikes and in hostels and wherever. Um, but, you know, largely I was alone. Um, and the first, maybe within, you know, 10 days or so were a little bit of a struggle, especially because I didn't really start seeing friends until about three weeks in. Uh -huh. Um, so it was just kind of random people that I was meeting along the way. And that's just not that, you know, valuable at that point. Mm. Um, and so I was like getting anxious about, you know, stupid things. And I would almost be like kind of pulling my hair out, uh, in my, you know, in my sleeping bag at night, uh, just like, Oh my God, you know, for nothing really. And, and, and I could see that it was coming from this like loneliness, not necessarily loneliness, because I do love being alone, but this lack of external stimulation with other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, especially with no phone or anything, it can really get to you. And because right. a lot of the times I would reach out to people on Instagram or whatever, or I would post on Instagram and people would send me replies or whatever. And that would, you know, kind of keep me going a little bit. And I get to chat with people. So a lot of these offline days were in the first few weeks. Yeah, well, it, they were scattered throughout. I learned to cope with them a lot better um, during, you know, the latter portion of the trip. Um, but early on, I really had to kind of how you say, um, force myself to deal with the thoughts that are in my head, force myself to deal with the feelings um, that I would be overcome by, uh, you know, alone in my tent or uh, on a hike. You know, sometimes my mind would just race on a hike and, you know, I would worry about, oh, something stupid from my past or, you know, something yeah. I might have said a while ago or that thing that something. everyone remembers from when I was eight years old. Random, <laughs> that random person who I don't give a shit about thinks yeah. about me. And um, I would just have to take a step back and I would say, you're in a fucking beautiful forest right now <laughs> overlooking Lake Michigan. Just shut up and look and just breathe it in and listen to the birds and listen to the fucking wind blowing the trees around you. Yeah. And when I did that, I mean, that changed everything. I started getting into that and I started meditating and on every hike and on almost every day, I would <coughs> try to find 10 to 15 minutes and sit 
you know, whether it was at the peak of the hike and I was overlooking, you know, mountains or forest or overlooking a lake. <coughs> Sorry, just try I, to sit. Yeah, no problem. I, I inhaled purple yam. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <not, it's>, I haven't <laughs> spontaneously just gotten. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, it's that that's. God damn it. <laughs> no problem. I'm going to get some water. I can feel like? it right. Yeah, I, I love some. That's super. Uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's so unintuitive for us to be where we are. Right. Exactly. And yeah, you like when you force yourself to say, hey, look, I'm sitting in the middle of the upper peninsula of Michigan overlooking Lake Superior on this spectacular beach. Um, that's all that matters. You know, who gives a shit about what you said 10 years ago or what you said before you headed off or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, just, you know, focus on the beauty around you. Focus on the intense beauty of living yeah. the the absolute privilege that we have to be where we're at and to see what we have and to experience it and to live it and to let it flow through us yeah so did you start your meditation like start doing that mostly on this trip yeah i had really never been into meditation i'm like you i'm i'm in extremely adhd um and i don't take any medication for it um but i have you know, a racing mind 24 seven. Um, and I always kind of thought, Oh, my mind races too much to meditate. You know, I could never just sit down and think about nothing. Um, but then I listened to a Duncan Trussell podcast. Um, and there was a meditation expert on there and, and she kind of opened my eyes to the fact that it's not thinking about nothing, you know, it is, just clearing your mind of worthless externalities and like just focusing on your breathing, right? Breathe in, breathe out, like, you know, count, focus where that breath is going, find it, think about it, realize that you're just a human being sitting on a rock, breathing in air, you know, and just thinking about that. Or I would, I would start to envision myself like on a on a map basically in my mind and i would mm -hmm. picture myself on the u.s map and you know and then i would zoom out basically in my mind and like picture myself on the earth and then i would open my eyes and zoom back in and, and look at exactly where i was and seeing this exact spot on the earth and what it looks like and what it feels like and you know i did that throughout the trip and so i have this kind of mental image now in my mind that's really beautiful of this this trip basically of, of the route that I took uh, in my mind, because in each spot and in, in nearly every day, I would find a new place to do that and to breathe in, picture myself on the earth, picture myself as a small dot on an infinitely large universe, but then open it and realize that I'm not insignificant at all, that none of this, this none of this is insignificant. Every little part of it and including myself has a purpose, has a meaning, is valuable, uh, and is exciting. Yeah, it's it. One of the things that I've noticed that I, it's it's kind of interesting. I don't know if you've experienced this too, um, or if you didn't as a result of doing that. But whenever I take road trips and I'm in the car, like it seems like there's very little continuity in my mind between the places that I'm at. Like if I show up at a place that looks wildly different from the last place, mm -hmm. it's hard for me to really comprehend that they're connected right. in some way. It's just sort of like right. environment I'm seeing. It's almost like they're all different video game maps. Almost. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but it's it's kind of interesting because like 
we live in like a foot in and a foot out of like the like physical stuff that we interact with because we see a lot of stuff through a screen. And so mm. there's like yeah. almost a discounted sort of appreciation of the physical stuff because we right. already have this mode where like 50% of the time we're viewing everything with a caveat that it's not actually there. Right. Right. <laughs> totally. Yeah. No. And so when we get to a place, it's hard to be like, right, this, I got here by a road that is on the same face of the, but it's just, but it looks totally different. Mm-hmm. But I did actually travel that distance. There right. were all those places in between. Right. And you can kind of see it. And that's what I do love about the road, right? Like when you fly somewhere, yeah, it's like there's a total disconnect. When yeah. you're driving, and I mean you drive from Wisconsin, beautiful green Wisconsin, to South Dakota or to the Badlands. And you witness it. You watch it go from green, uh, you know, glacial remnants to... Uh, kind of plains land and then into like these these badlands and, and this sedimentary uh, wasteland basically mm-hmm. and you're like wow and that was a six hour drive and you're like you try to connect it and now you know I'm slowly getting there and building this map in my mind and I can kind of see now how it transferred you know how it goes from Michigan and all the lakes and 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 the forest up there down to Wisconsin, all the way over to Wyoming and, and in the Rockies. And I watched the Rockies, you know, slowly yeah. come up, you know, over hundreds of miles. And, you know, all of a sudden now I'm at 9,000 feet elevation and now I'm at 11,000 <laughs> feet elevation. And yeah, that's, I, I love that part about the road. Yeah, that is cool. Yeah, I think it that is definitely exaggerated with flights because I don't fly yeah. places of, very much at mm-hmm. all. Um, but I did like around this time last year for the first time in a while I flew, but it was to Vegas. So it was like really different. Mm-hmm. And then Vegas feels kind of like fake anyway. Oh yeah. Totally. Like, when you walk around and especially I think that time of year, it wasn't particularly, um, busy. Maybe it was, or I think it was just the times of day. Cause I don't do like part, I, I don't really have a normal type of social life for mm-hmm. a 22 year old. Like, you know, yeah go out very much and I don't drink so like that sort of deletes me from being (laughs) attracted to a lot of certain things especially in Vegas yeah and uh, I was also there working so when I was walking around and there was not like really that many people the biggest difference that I noticed from New York to there was like there wasn't as much trash or any trash on the ground Mm. I kept looking around and be like where's the dirt like Mm -hmm. where's the it's just it just looks like I'm in a back lot like Mm -hmm. is the sky even real here I don't Mm -hmm. know and it's such a different environmental change that it felt like almost eerie in a sense but um, but I think it, the part with road tripping is I typically, and not by design, but by lack of planning, which I may need to take some notes from you on, uh, drive at night because I oh, leave late almost yeah. every time. Oh, man. Well, you're missing out on the best <laughs> yeah, part of the road I know, trip. right? <laughs> no, the, the road trip that I alluded to earlier when I did go through Colorado, uh, I was 17 and I did that with my birth dad. And we went from – he drove from – Orlando to pick me up in just south of Tallahassee at the time. And then we went from Tallahassee to Nashville to St. Louis to Boulder, got a concussion in Boulder, and then drove to Seattle. And then from Seattle, we went down to Northern California to a place called Garberville and from Garberville to LA. But uh, Rock had done that drive because he grew up in Seattle and he was a West Coaster for most of his life. So he was like hyping up the like um, the coastline highway or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was like, it's going to be super beautiful, man. You're, yeah. you're going to be stoked, so stoked about this. But we like the entire road trip itinerary got shot in like the first five days. Mm-hmm. 
and we had to do 10,000 miles. It was like three weeks of windows. <laughs> and uh, we missed the first turn of the road trip by 127 miles oh my God. because we got on I-10 in Florida and was going across. Uh-huh. And uh, he decided that he didn't want to hear the GPS saying continue on blank road all the time. So he turned it off. Yeah, great. Thinking, I'm going to turn this back on before it tells us when we need to turn. Uh-huh. And he said that out loud. I didn't catch it. No part of me realized like what this man had just said out loud. Mm-hmm. I will turn this GPS off now, but don't worry. I'll turn it back on so it can tell us when we need to turn. So he turned it back on 127 miles after the fact. And uh, and then like that just added like basically a half day to the trip. Because now it was we missed the interstate. Now I have to take back roads. So that mm-hmm. takes exponentially longer. And uh, the idea that we had was that we would rent this Ford Fiesta. We're both six foot four. Or six foot three. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> we drive it up to Seattle. And then we, when we looked at the cost to like drop it there and fly back, the rental cost to pick any rental car up in Orlando and drop it off in Seattle is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. So we were like, all right, we need to make a round trip. So then the next plan was because we still were in denial that we'd have to drive back after this ordeal, um, is that we would like find someone on Craigslist to drive the car back for us and like add them to the rental at that point or something because we had unlimited miles. And, uh, and eventually we just had to compress like a three week one way trip into a three week two way oh trip. Oh my God, dude. Yeah, I did 8,600 miles over 65 days. I can't imagine oh 10,000 over three weeks. Yeah. We were trying to film something though. And we both had, like, I had to start high, my senior year of high school right after that, which is hilarious because I saw some shit on that road trip. And now I have to go be a high schooler for like a year. I bet, man. Yeah, seriously, you see the real life. Uh, um, yeah. But the, uh, the oh, the, the point of all that was like when we went through Northern California and the Redwoods and stuff, it was night. Yeah. So I didn't see yeah, the coastline. Um, yeah, no, that's supposedly one of the best drives in the country, yeah. too. So I, I have to make a West Coast drive again at some point, mm-hmm. but I don't have any idea when that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm kind of already planning a missed opportunities trip. Uh, I didn't quite make it to the West Coast. It's, you know, Yellowstone's as far as I made it west. Right. Um, so I'm getting, you know, I'm already like in the works of like, yeah. okay, go to Death Valley, I'll go to Yosemite, I'll go to Joshua a, Tree. Would you take a different path through or the same? I I would probably, since I actually sold my car in Dallas, so I don't have the Jeep anymore. So what I would probably do is like fly to LA or something and rent a car and just Uh, drive up the coast basically. True. Because I am, I've been missing the road, especially in the past few days. I've been back like three weeks and I love, I love it here. I I love New York. I'm, you know, I wouldn't have stayed out a day longer truly Mm because I was exhausted and I, you know, did everything I needed to do. I, I'm in the, you know, I'm in the place that I need to be in, in mentally and, and spiritually. But um, there's something about the freedom of the road um, that has really been calling me back lately. And uh, it's just spectacular. You just, you know, you're, you are a new person everywhere you go. You know, you get to start over. You get to start with fresh faces. And, a, you know, there's no backstory to you. It's just who you are in that very moment. And... There's a real excitement to that kind of lifestyle. And, and, and obviously, you know, uh, the beautiful places that I saw, too, are just like kind of calling me back. And so I'm hoping to be able to do that again because I don't think I've seen the last of the road, truly. Yeah. Well, that's good. I would hope not. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, there's a lot of the world out there. And there's we're so fortunate much. enough yeah. to be connected to a very large 
continuous part of right. it. Right, <laughs> beautiful country. Oh my god, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful, truly. Damn. What was your diet like? What was the sort of so day-to-day? Uh, most always it would be cooked over a campfire. Um, I would occasionally stay in an Airbnb or something and you know, grab a, a lunch in a town if I was near a town. Um, but breakfast would be bacon and eggs um, or sausage and eggs and toast. Or it would be, if I wanted to get on a hike early that day, it would be yogurt and granola or yogurt and fruit or whatever. Um, so basic stuff. Lunch was always a sandwich. Um you know, I always, you know, I had a cooler with me and then a pantry box. Um, so was it a refrigerator cooler or did you continue? I just continually bought ice. Yeah. Just ice every two days basically and reset and you know, the ice would melt all into my food. And so I'd have like soaking wet steaks or whatever, but like, um, you know, it was, it worked for what it was. And, um, reverse marination is just dilution of steak. Just like the beautiful red marbled steaks I would buy at local butchers would turn into like pink white like <laughs> monochrome oh my God. yeah um, but lunch would always be sandwiches I became an expert sandwich maker um, and then dinner would be steak and potatoes or steak and corn or steak and beans or chicken and potatoes or chicken and corn or chicken and beans or pork and potatoes or pork and beans or pork and corn. There were uh, three meat options and basically three veggie options. And it would just be throw it over the campfire, grill it up, you know, heat the can of beans up on the fire and dig in. Did you meet your lifetime quota of any of those? <laughs> Actually, I've become even more fond of beans. Uh, I buy canned beans now often. I love canned beans. Um, now I'm, I just literally don't even put them in a pot anymore. I just cook <laughs> them straight from the tin can nice. over my gas stove. Um, and yeah, I, I honestly loved it because there is a sense of satisfaction you get from something like that from, and it feels like innately human to do something like that, to literally wake up in the morning and start a fire, you know, get, get your kindling going, you know, build a little bit of a fire and cook your bacon and eggs or whatever and get, you know, wake up, get your coffee and the percolator going over the fire. And then, you know, coming home after a long day of hiking mountains and exploring and uh, seeing beautiful things and then getting another fire going, ripping up a steak, throwing some salt and pepper on it and throwing it over the fire and, you know, eating some corn. to end the day. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was awesome. It really was awesome. And like, I mean, I would lose, I lost my fork like halfway into it. So I was eating steak and corn with my hands and just like, I just felt like a total beast. And it was like this beautiful feeling within me that I was like, this is like, this is how it's supposed to be. You know, like yeah. this feels right. This feels good. Yeah. That's, it's like a very stripped of anything contrived moment. Mm -hmm. And when you, and you, it helps you realize what we really need in life. And, you know, we, we surround ourselves with so many conveniences and yes, it's great to have a toaster oven, but like, you know, what you really, all you really need is a, a couple of logs and or like a, a hot thing, just anything. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sunny and, day black pan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, that I think a, a lot of people can benefit from that lifestyle and seeing, Hey, I don't need to consume, consume, consume. You know, I can keep it simple and still be satisfied with myself. Yeah.
Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it's funny because one of the most like unobvious memories that I have in terms of its like staying power since my like my sort of big road trip when I was 17 because the ones that I've done since they've not really been very they don't really stop at parks or anything mm-hmm. the closest thing is I stay with family in Virginia but yep. it's still like an interstate town mm-hmm. so it's like fields farms Waffle House town right. like it's it's right. basically where I grew up but in Virginia um, and uh, but when I was 17 like there were a lot of memorable moments um, getting a concussion not one of them immediately, but all the stuff that happened after that was very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, Colorado, it turns out mountain biking in Colorado involves actual mountains, which is right. not, not true of Florida. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, it's a uh, whole different beast. Yeah. It really is. <laughs> but like we, uh, it was such a ridiculous, like at some point, um, basically for better context, this trip's entire purpose was for me to go and have the opportunity to interview what wasn't stated explicitly, but was more frankly put, all of the reasons why I was adopted, all of the family members that like I was kind of being protected from by being adopted out of the environment. Oh, okay. And so, but because the condition of my adoption was it was an open adoption, um, he wanted to see what would happen like if I got to meet them now that I was basically an adult and I wasn't going to be like, I don't know, turned by one of them right. <laughs> in like four or five days or whatever. But at some point we were like driving from, oh, it was in Colorado. We picked up my biological cousin who is like two or three years older than me and had been kicked out of some place in Oregon that happened to be a meth lab or something. And then he was staying temporarily in Boulder because his mom was visiting Boulder and then he needed to get back to LA, but his mom didn't want to take him and like he couldn't pay for a flight. So he like rode with us. So this at some point in this trip, the Ford Fiesta had three six foot three people. It's amazing. And all of our camera gear, yeah. instruments, two bikes on the back. It was yeah. absurd. We never once did an oil change in this poor thing oh. and the entire time. <laughs> of course, yeah. On the gas. Yeah. Um, but like, so this, like, that, that was a theme for the entire trip. Just crazy shit all the time. But one of the most vividly memorable moments was sitting in a trailer park in Garverville, California in this like tiny town where you could like pay at a gas station with money or weed. Because at the time, I think this is before any legalization at all. Um, there was like a big weed growing town and you like a lot of the people there were making money under the table through like cutting and farming and cultivating and stuff. Um, so like it was a valid currency in the town and then they just like spot you. So, uh, when I was there, we were staying, uh, I, for the first night or two tried to stay in a hammock in a carport provided for me. But after the first night I woke up at like three in the morning and a brown recluse was like dangling above my head. And, uh, I'm terrified of spiders, but more so spiders that are actually valid of being terrified of, like, yeah. such as a brown recluse. Right, right. Um, so I didn't have to sleep in the car after that, but like she cooked for us and she cooked on like a little, like cast iron skillet mm-hmm. or like pot or something and it was like these strange stews with ingredients that i couldn't quite mm-hmm. decipher what they had started in life as and then a really simple like homemade like bread right and um and that was just like such a nice moment like just sitting in the redwoods in this trailer yeah. park with mm-hmm. like a open fire thing next to a dilapidated rv breaking mm-hmm. down and a truck that was surviving just as a giant middle finger to like any <laughs> logic or reason yeah like it was rusted in half almost, and it was like a it was an F one fifty, but it was probably like a eighties or nineties, mm-hmm. and um, like a big camper thing on the back hadn't been registered in several years. It was insane, <laughs> and uh, and just like that that moment because it was very like 
it was like, oh yeah, this is, this technically is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Like, this is all. Like, yeah. that truck moves, which is nice. Yeah. There's a stove and a driveway with food on top of it that tastes great. Mm-hmm. And like some bread. And it just, yeah. it was a nice like reset. And out of all the crazy shit that happened on that road trip, like that is one of the most vivid memories I have. It's beautiful, yeah. And I think it's because of that sort of like recontextualization. Because mm-hmm. I grew up in suburbia, like yeah, Nuketown town neighborhood. Totally, yeah. Because yeah. that was the point of me being adopted. Yeah, you buy Wonder Bread at the, you know, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah. the local Get chain the supermarket fake or whatever. plastic yeah. rock in the front yard covering up the yeah. gas line. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> no, I met, um, there's this beautiful place in Ithaca, New York, which was one of my first stops, um, called Karenville. And this woman, Karen, <laughs> she's truly like the anti-Karen. I know Karen has uh, brought on a, a certain type of connotation these days. But this woman um, lives and, and built this entire little village, this little mini village, uh, on her plot of land in Ithaca. And she calls it Karenville, and it's completely off the grid. There's no electricity. There's no running water. You have to go uh, to a well in the middle of the valley to retrieve water. How did you find this place? I found this place on Airbnb, actually. And it it was totally wonderful. It was like 40 bucks a night uh, for this beautiful little tiny cottage. And you have, like, it's well insulated. There's no electricity or anything, but it's a... It was a beautiful, beautiful night stay, um, and this woman Karen um, has just found a way to live that like that, and found a way to live without electricity and to live without running water, and to build, you know, to make all her food over the campfire. And she made this incredible bread, like this unbelievably delicious bread, straight in a cast iron skillet that she just put on top of, you know, a burning log, and let it cook. And it was, it's totally delicious, and. I had so much to learn from her and it was great to begin the trip there essentially. Um, and to see that there are people out there that have found a way to shed the comforts of life and have found a way to, uh, support themselves naturally and to support their lives in a completely natural and human way. Um, sort of divorced from the hedonism that like is sort of a prerequisite for living in America. <laughs> right, exactly. And, and I'm like, well, she can do it. Like, I can do this too. You know, I can f- fucking roll with this road trip. I can fucking cook over a campfire every night and, you know, sleep under the stars if I need to. And, you know, I learned a lot from her. She gave me some great tips. She taught me a lot about the United States uh, and in terms of what she's seen and where she's been and how she's lived over the years. Um, and I just, I want the world to have more Karens, truly. This type of Karen, yeah, you know? this, this is the this, good Karen. Karen needs a, a PR revolution. <laughs> Karenville True. might, is it Karenville? Yes, it's Karenville. Karenville might be yes. the locale for that to start. Yeah, truly. It's, that's a, amazing. it's a spectacular place. God, <laughs> She's a spectacular woman. Yeah. That is, I don't think I would have ever in my life found out about Karenville. I'm so happy I found Karenville. Yeah, I can't recommend it enough, truly. (laughs) Damn. So another thing that I was curious about, because another funny thing about this sort of building gathering, which is someone that you met on the trip from Utah? Yes, yeah. uh, That I ended up sort of like talking to for a while. Because I ended, so I'm very, um, I don't know if the proper term is antisocial or if it's actually asocial, but I'm not social. Mm -hmm. That, That if you just, 
make it two words, not social. Right. Pretty good description to me since birth. And so parties are very intimidating for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm also always tired. Right. So I'm always like, I'm just going to go to sleep. It's fine. But something about your party was like, <laughs> I I need to see, like, these are all, like, everyone looks unintimidating and nice yeah. and kind. And they're all local. Yeah, that's and, the only kind of people I love. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you had, like, a an, an indie band yes. for a portion of it, which yeah. I, I only. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is the greatest. Like, it was it was amazing. Yeah, truly. <laughs> so I, but like full disclosure, the reason I ended up there is because I locked myself out of my apartment. <laughs> right, right. No, I don't remember a whole lot from that party, but I do remember yeah. you telling me that. So yeah. I, uh, I was in the deciding process, but I decided that I would decide after completing my laundry. I would use that as sort of like the buffer because. I literally spent an hour like contemplating whether I just like deal with my social anxiety shit and go mm-hmm. say hi to people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so much so that I, <laughs> I legitimately went to my car to get the bike that I left in there because I didn't feel like taking it in. Yeah. So that I have an excuse to walk through the courtyard to the bike room to like scope it out and see if I dare attend. So I did. And I was like, this looks dope. Yeah. Still on the fence. Then yeah. I went upstairs. I was like, I'm gonna finish my laundry. So I take my laundry out of the door and I, I look back and watch the door close yeah. and as it like clunks. It's I'm always like, the laundry. I did the same thing the other day. Yeah, it's always like, the laundry that gets us. <laughs> I don't have a key. Well, that's all right. Well, I'm sure one of my roommates will be home soon. So I call both my roommates and one of them doesn't pick up for like, he doesn't pick up for the next like two and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And the other one does and he says, Oh, I'm not coming back tonight. So I was like, Well, I guess I'm attending this party now. Yeah. Sick. And it was a really good thing. Well, I'm, I'm happy met- you came because, yeah, you were a lot of fun there. <laughs> Yeah. Appreciate that. <laughs> but yeah, so I met um, someone named Grace at one point, and I was like, oh, well, how did you get here? I was like, oh, well, I met Michael in Utah uh-huh. yeah. on his road trip. And I was like, yeah. no shit. Yes. <laughs> and uh, she said, I, I think it was at a hostel you guys met? Yes, we stayed at the Lazy Lizard Hostel in Moab. So I... Moab. Uh-huh. Great town. Beautiful, that's a beautiful town. That's a childhood meme that only one other person in my life will understand. <laughs> Moab. Um, but... So I, I've done trips and I've been recommended to do like hostels or arrange stuff with that yeah. or plan for them. Um, specifically when I went to the UK, uh, I did like a two week trip in the South of the UK or one week in the South and then flew up to Glasgow and spent a week there. Um, but I, I just don't understand, like, I don't know what the difference between a hostel or something else is. And like, mm-hmm. what is sort of like the crash course for someone that is too lazy to just go look up for themselves like why this is such a thing that everyone seems to recommend well a hostel is great for solo travelers truly it's great because there are so many other people that you're surrounded by there and not just you know in the common areas but literally you're sleeping in a dorm room with six other beds you know and you know six other people basically that you go to sleep with and wake up with um but more than that um it's full of interesting people, you know, like you're like the kind of people that would have stayed at a hostel mm-hmm. filters first. Exactly. You're gotcha. already, you know, you're already starting strong with the idea that, you know, your average Karen yeah. isn't going to stay at a hostel. Yeah. You know? She's going to book the fucking holiday Inn or whatever. Right. Right. But like the, Solo Traveler or, you know, like Grace, um, who who I met there or like Sarah Bird, who was also at the party. Um, it's full of people who are usually young or, you know, just are kind of nomads. Basically, there were people who were 
just, you know, I asked them, what do you do? They're like, I don't do anything. I just you know, drive around and have a good time, you know, make money here and there. I said, that sounds fucking awesome. Um, and, you know, it's all these people and it's such a good way to meet people, especially driving solo, uh, because you already have something in common. Usually, um, you're usually going to meet interesting people. Um, and beyond that, it was like $15 a night, uh, to stay at this hostel. And I mean, that's, you know, about what I would pay for a developed campsite or whatever. And here you have a bed and you're surrounded by people. Um, and so, I really fell in love with the hostel life. I, I like definitely recommend that to basically if you're just figure out where you're going to stay or what city you're going to be in or what area you're going to be in, just Google Google Maps like a hostel and see what pops up. Like, don't worry about the reviews. The hostels are going to have bad reviews, you know, but they're <laughs> generally going to be full of cool people. And it's just, yeah, people. probably the only people that would leave a review or selecting for exactly. people probably shouldn't have been there. Oh my God, I paid $15 a night and there were fucking people everywhere. <laughs> oh my God, the bed wasn't made and oh, blah, blah, blah. But like, no, I had the best time in those hostels. I say at the Lazy Lizard in Moab and the Wanderlust Hostel in Gunnison, uh, and both places, very different places, um, but both full of travelers and hikers, you know, in Colorado, I met uh, two people doing the Colorado Trail, which is literally like a, maybe 450 miles from the northern uh, part of Colorado, the southern part, and, uh, you know, I met someone who had been doing the Appalachian Trail just earlier that year, which is 1,700 miles of a hike, and... Uh, <laughs> And these people are just fascinating and everyone has a story and um, I really enjoyed just getting to sit down after a day of, you know, being out by myself, taking my mountain bike up in Crested Butte or whatever, or, you know, going to Arches National Park in Moab and then to be able to come back and have a beer out uh, on the patio with, you know, seven other people who just all did separate things that day and all from seven different places on the earth and all have seven different backstories. And I just love to sit and listen to these people because there's so many fascinating people and, and it's so easy to get caught up in the idea that this country is full of assholes or this country is full of non-thinkers and, and, you know, simple-minded people, and it is, but also, you know, we have a, a massive population of people that are truly interesting and that are interested in everything and interested in life, and those are the people that I seek out, and those are the people you can find in a hostel. Yeah, I think the biggest sort of telling factor is if you ask them what they do and they say, I don't know, I just, <laughs> like, it, it's by definition yeah. an agendaless person, like, yes. you're going to have a, the most bare conversation of just like honest sort of representation yeah exactly you know and my 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 favorite question is you know what moves you like what keeps you going and uh you ask that question to the right person you get a hell of an interesting <laughs> story truly yeah no because it's like there i believe that a lot of people are capable of great thought and mm -hmm. good yeah. thinking i yeah. think there are a lot of and especially where i grew up like southern culture has a lot of etiquette around silence of certain topics, right. namely like mental health, psychology, mm -hmm. philosophy, things like that. Like they'll have old wisdoms that are often very like profound and mm -hmm. um, prophetic in some ways. But then a lot of other things like my uh, adopted dad, for instance, I believe like we would have never known because he would have never allowed us to like convince him to go get diagnosed. But like, I don't think anyone that knew him doubts that he had PTSD from Vietnam. Mm hmm. And it's just one of those things and something about living in the like 
the like bookended rat race, like mm-hmm. without that divorce of agenda, mm-hmm. like you're you're more susceptible to be as great of a thinker as you please, but never actually like it will never make it over the valley of death to like another human. Right. And when you meet people that are just like, I don't fucking care. I just right. make money when I need to make money. And then I go back mm-hmm. to like, <laughs> yep, I do this here and I'm doing that tomorrow. And I'm going to have a really good time. And until then, yeah. and those are the people that, that excite me. And, um, I think there is a shift towards that, uh, in our society. I think we're getting closer. And I think as, as destructive as, you know, social media and the internet can be, I also think it's good that we can, share these types of experiences with a mass audience. And, uh, and I think more broadly during quarantine, I think people in general have been kind of taking a step back. Um, and I know it's not just me that's done this, but just kind of, and it helped to lose my job, but like to take a step back and say, okay, this fucking routine that I'm in, it does, it does, it's not how it has to be. You know, I can, I can shake up this routine and still be fulfilled. You know, it doesn't have to come from consumption. It doesn't have to come from brunch. It can be, you know, just sitting outside and breathing and reading, you know, reading a book. And um, I think we're getting closer. I really do. I think we have a long, long, long way to go. Um, But I can just see it in the way that young people are these days that I think we're getting towards a greater level of excitement and a willingness to share our ideas with people and not be afraid to, you know, not be afraid of big ideas and not be afraid of taking big chances and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think social media is one of those things that is loudly um, and and sort of presents as being either evil or on the whole detrimental, but all the value of it is being sort of netted positive on the underlying parts. Like I think the, so. the margin yeah. of it where people that would have absolutely had no way of finding each other right. in any other time than now mm-hmm. can connect and then sort of like whatever happens from those one in a hundred thousand or one in a million chances that Mm -hmm. someone actually makes a connection that was really important Mm -hmm. for those two minds to get together. I feel like that has to outweigh like sort of a, just a, a negative attitude that I believe is transient because I don't necessarily subscribe to the idea that social media is evil. I think it's just a comically failed experiment. Right. It's like, it was unprecedented. No one knew what the fuck was going to happen. And then all the incentive structures were sort of, like no one, because it was unprecedented, no one had the foresight to realize the problems with the incentive structures that came about. And people are just scrambling to try and keep this random thing going. Everyone mm-hmm. was doing what best served like their interests as they could like think was ethical at the time. And that just happened to not go in a very good direction. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. um, but I think people are, you know, like the, I don't think there's like an evil hand at play trying to like, ruin the world with social media i think they're trying to do some stuff to fix it i mean one of the things is just moving to paid subscription services mm-hmm. like the fact that spotify is like their free platform their like freemium ad platform mm-hmm. is so horridly not user-friendly that yeah. it basically doesn't mm-hmm. exist yeah and so you have the uh you you have like a paid platform which no longer has the incentives issue that which is probably the greatest value in all of social media by the way ten dollars a month for music oh my god (laughs) and so i don't know i'm hopeful for all that stuff but also like i don't know if i've ever had motivation to to get back in touch with reality or maybe take a a little bit more divorce from the digital world Mm -hmm. road trip the next time around Mm -hmm. This has been quite the impetus for that. Yeah, totally. No, I, I, uh, 
I think it, it's, it's, it would be a great thing for a lot of people to do is to just go out there and see what exists, you know, that so many people that just don't even know what's out there. I didn't even know really, truly what was out there. You know, like you said, you know, we see these things on screens and, you know, we see them on television and, and we read about them. But being there, being in Death Canyon in Grand Teton National Park and being sitting on a fucking riverbed and playing with rocks for three hours is like... <laughs> It's transformative yeah. and it's beautiful. And I, I have this image from that day it just burned into my mind of intense beauty. And, you know, a fucking moose walked up on me from the middle of the river, like just comes down and staring me in the face like 15 feet away. And I'll never forget that. And I'll be like, this happens everywhere. You know, this beauty, this ecosystem is happening all over the earth, everywhere. And it's working in perfect harmony with itself. And it is the only truth that exists in this earth is that life will keep going and life will continue in this cycle as long as it's possible to do so. And I think when people can see that, they can also see that they have that within themselves. They have that same natural force, that same natural energy that's pounding forth from them. And that when we listen to that natural force, when we listen to that natural voice within us, um, we start treating each other better. We start treating ourselves better. We start respecting the earth a, a lot more and we start uh, becoming more aware of our place in the system. And we're not a part of this system. You know, we, we are in the system. We are mm-hmm. in this constantly flowing energy that yeah. is really the only truth. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to see because there was such a like, in terms of at least American civilization and stuff and a lot of other places as well, but not exactly everywhere, there was a really big push towards this sort of sophistication of humans and a division from, like, animal and human. Right. But we're, like, I mean, especially now that we're in, like, the sort of public health crisis Mm -hmm. of COVID, but outside of that, it's not like obesity hasn't been an issue in America for Mm -hmm. two decades now and diabetes and all the other chronic health issues. And the only reason those exist is because we stopped really thinking about like we're eating food not because it's art and we're sophisticated people and this Mm -hmm. is like an enjoyable like ritual Mm -hmm. experience we're eating food because like we have to to survive right those are the substrate with which we build all of the materials in our body (laughs) and if we're eating shitty stuff that result will not be ideal Mm -hmm. and like because it's like but we're humans like we'll find some molecule that we can take that'll fix like 19,000 different like tentative systems and it's just not how any of that works but now there seems to be like you know like I you noticed my shoes earlier which Mm -hmm. um, are barefoot shoes and Mm -hmm. the reason I got this is because now there's like research that's realizing that orthotics and like foot inserts and all that sort of stuff um it kind of intuitively made sense to people in the past, mm-hmm. but it it actually doesn't work. Like mm-hmm. there's the the pattern of injuries between like treating with someone treating someone with bad feet with like orthotics and inserts versus giving them like a barefoot shoe. If you train them properly for the barefoot shoe, they have less injuries and they can run faster because like we have feet for a reason. Mm-hmm. They were they like our feet are a certain shape and they behave a certain way because they're made to do a certain thing. And um, but we just don't like look at that like right. we would any other sort of animal right. at least at first glance mm-hmm. we think like oh well we're humans yeah. so we need like right. 
an inch of memory foam. We mm-hmm. need, like, we're not mm-hmm. animals. Animals right. are made to do that. We're right. not. We're human. <laughs> right. And, yeah, I think the closer we get to that realization of, hey, we're just as much in this as, you know, this fucking soil. You yeah. Know? We're just as much a part of the process as this river is. Um, I think that's when we can start getting closer to getting back to what these people in the caves were doing and living in perfect harmony and reacting naturally to the world that's around them. Yeah, and I don't think that means that we have to live with an aversion to conveniences. I think it just means, like, some things are insidious because they look like conveniences and aren't. Right, no, yeah. No, it's it's all about finding what is right and what, you know, that human innovation is a very natural part of being a human and we will always you know, invent technology and we will always, you know, manipulate the world around us because that's just as natural as anything else. But we have to make it natural. We have to let it be real and not be a farce, you know? Yeah, it's sort of uh, one of the things that I've encountered in like my learnings of meditation is wise selfishness versus foolish selfishness. Mm -hmm. And all the difference really is, is the time horizon on which you're evaluating it. So a foolish selfish moment would be like um screwing over a business partner for instance because you get the equity and that benefits you but now you've just burned that bridge and in the long term that person has soured every relationship you have because your reputation is now trash Mm -hmm. so you might have been selfish but that was really foolishly selfish because it hurt you in the long run Mm -hmm. and then wise selfishness is usually in line with benevolence because if you play it out properly if everyone likes your presence and respects you and trusts you then things work better for you and i think the same is true like if you try to be you know foolishly selfish with starting a company that you know has some questionable ethics around like plastics production and distribution um but now you don't have a planet to live on in 30 years like yeah exactly that didn't really help you too much and uh yeah i think that's something I haven't ever thought about in those words, but a division from like, like this idea of sophistication as a division from nature existing mm-hmm. and us applying to it mm-hmm. um, is something that I think like road trips are probably a really good conduit to like totally. bring people back to. And totally. And just, yeah, just sit on a rock, you know, yeah. sit on a log and look, you know, and breathe and realize that that's what it is. You know, that's where we are. This is what we have. Yeah. Oh, I think this is uh, this is probably the best way I could have ever shared a piece of Uber oh cake. Oh my god, it was the most uh, <laughs> insightful cake eating session I've ever had. Truly. Likewise, <laughs> same for me. Well, I appreciate this, man. This is yeah. been awesome. I'm sure we'll have more talks. Love to, totally. Yeah. And, uh, thanks for thanks for accepting my rather ambiguous text earlier of like, hey, want to be part of a video? I'll show up at your door in a few minutes. <laughs> exactly. No, I'm I'm all for it. You know, I um. The last thing I'll say about what I learned from my trip is just to say yes to opportunities, you know, and let things come naturally and don't try to force situations when you try to force something or, you know, I try to force some kind of philosophy on someone else that I may have learned or whatever. It just doesn't come out right or it doesn't land properly. But when an opportunity presents itself to you, does it speak to someone interesting just to get to know somebody that, you know, you don't know too well, but, you know, are interested in? then just say yes, you know, make time for that. Don't just plan everything, everything, everything. Just let things come to you. And that that was 
so crucial to the trip to just be able to say, okay, well, it's raining over here. I'm going to stay here for a while, you know, or, you know, I don't have to stick to this strict schedule. I can just roll with it. You know, oh, hey, you're in Fort Collins. Yes, 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 yes. I'll come. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to stay four more nights in Denver. Yes, 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 yes. And just saying yes. That is awesome, man. Well, I appreciate it. This, this is sick. This is like I'm definitely gonna do something with this. There's so totally. many. Yeah. Fucking Karenville is the best thing I think I will ever hear in my Karenville. life. Karenville. More people need to know about Karenville. If truly. anyone named Karen wants to learn how to like <laughs> rebrand, just go go take a visit to Karenville. Seriously, she has taken back Karen. <laughs> oh my god. Well, sick, man. Yeah, totally. I Thanks guess for stopping by, there. man. Yeah. Right, yeah, no, thank you for taking a piece of the cake so that Absolutely. I didn't. Absolutely. Thank you, Mark A. Thank you, Mark A. Thank you, Mark A. <laughs> that is, thank you, karma. <laughs> the anagram of Mark A. Totally. You get, you get what you put into this earth, Koi, and uh, just give good energy and you will receive it. Yeah. And good cake. Yeah. <laughs> If you're hearing this right now, thank you. I hope you enjoyed the talk as much as I did. And I have a few updates since the last episode. You may notice the podcast has a new look, which is actually courtesy of our second guest, Sean Michael's new company. And I also have exciting news, which is there is now a way to support the Sprackle podcast, the Koi White YouTube channel, and anything else I make directly through Patreon. If you've never heard of it, Patreon is like a tip jar for the internet. So if there's something you really love that I've made and you want to play a direct role in helping me make more of it more often, hit the link in the show notes, which will let you support at any level that makes sense for you. I can't thank my current supporters enough for truly believing me at ground zero. So the six people you should thank for this episode and the potential return of the Sparkle podcast at all are Joey Curziel, Michael Davidson, Aubrey Hale, Rock Solomon, Susan Council, and a particularly enigmatic individual that goes by the alias of Raidgast. So if anyone in that list is listening, thank you 3000. And don't worry, the next road trip vlog is to be edited right after this. Until then, love, peace, and chicken grease, everyone. I will see you when I see you.